All right, let's take out our Bibles together, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Proverbs today. The book of Proverbs, chapter 24. Proverbs is just about smack dab in the middle of your Bibles, if you're not familiar with the way a Bible is laid out. If you open up to the very middle and you come to, let's say, Psalms, it's the very next book. If you come to uh, one of the big books that's right there, Isaiah, it's a few books previous, a couple books previous, actually. Proverbs chapter 24, and our text today is one verse, verse 11. Now, my guess is that when it comes to evangelism, most of you feel like me. What I mean by that is, you feel disappointed in yourself. That's how I feel. You feel like you don't talk to people about the good news of Jesus nearly enough. If you feel like that, you are not alone. Today, what I want to do is I want to spend some time stirring up our hearts, stirring up our motivation to share the gospel with those who need it, so that maybe after today, we can do this just a little bit more. Because we're not looking to fix the problem of lack of evangelism right here, right now with one sermon. That's not going to happen. But maybe, just maybe, we can help one another throughout the course of our lives to where, you know, if, if we live 30 more years, let's say, maybe 30 more years from now, I'll be sharing the gospel a lot more than I am today. Little by little, week by week, year by year, maybe we can get just a little better at this. And today I want to spend some time stirring up our hearts so that we would long to share the gospel. We would want to do it just a little bit more. Think back to when you became a Christian, if you're in Christ today. If you're a Christian sitting here today, I want you to think back to when you became a Christian. Who were the people in your life who talked to you about Christ, about salvation, about the state of your soul. Because for every single one of us in here who's a Christian, that's how it happened. Somebody talked to us. Someone helped us think about and understand the gospel. Someone did this for us. Who was it in your life? For me, for example, I can think of uh, three people primarily. Uh, two were my parents. My parents raised me uh, in church from the time I was very, very little. Uh, I remember when I was younger uh, having this idea that my mother knew the Bible better than anyone on the whole planet, that she knew it like the back of her hand. And then from a very young age, my dad was an elder in the church and was always committed to serving the body of Christ and to serving God and to doing whatever he could to help uh, with the church. And so they gave me such an example of Christian life that it it always made a big impression on me. And then when I was 13, uh, I started to play football for the very first time in my life and the only time in my life. I learned I wasn't really cut out for that. Um, but during that season, I was, I was playing basketball too. I was big into sports. Our minister at church was a, a really big weightlifter. Uh, and so he, he asked me if I wanted to come learn how to weightlift. And I said, sure, yeah, I want to get really strong and uh, get better at sports. And so little did I know, he, he didn't really care all that much about teaching me proper weightlifting technique. He just wanted to talk to me about the gospel. And so we spent more time talking than we actually did weightlifting. It wasn't too long after that that that's when I gave my life to Christ, August 9th. 1998. Who are the people in your life? None of us come to Christ without someone helping us, without someone sharing the gospel with us, without someone talking to us about Christ 
and about eternity. Every single one of us experienced that. And so do we not want to do that for others as it has been done to us? I want to draw your attention to our text today. One verse in the book of Proverbs. It's verse 11 in chapter 24 where God's word says, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you don't have this verse underlined, highlighted, circled, whatever in your Bible, I would encourage you to do so. This is one of the prime verses in the entire Bible on evangelism. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If Satan has lost your soul to God, if you're a Christian and he's lost your soul to God, he will do everything in his power to make sure you don't take anyone else with you. Satan is working every day to make sure that when you come across an unbeliever, you don't think about their eternal soul. He's doing everything he can. When you come across someone else, you don't think about those things. You just think about surface level stuff and keep it there. He wants to make sure you don't think about them as an immortal soul that will spend eternity in one of two places. That's true of every single person we will ever see. Every person you rub shoulders with, every person in your family, every person you work with, every person that you see out in the community, they will spend eternity in one of two places. And if that person does not give their life to Jesus, that place will be hell. We need to think about that this morning. We need to feel that this morning. And we need to understand that Satan is doing everything he can to keep your mind away from that truth. And so this morning, in light of this text, I want to lead you in seven questions to help you examine yourself and your own evangelism. This is kind of like a self-diagnostic test, so to speak. Seven questions to help us examine ourselves about our own evangelism. So first, the first question is this. Do you think often of heaven? Do you think often of heaven? Because if you do not, then you won't care that much that others aren't going there. You won't care that much that those you love might not be going there. We need to think often of heaven. In fact, let's do that right now. What's heaven going to be like? What do we know from Scripture? Well, think about what it will be like to be with God and with Jesus. To live with them. To live among them. What will it be like to thank Jesus face to face for what he did on the cross for your sins? What will it be like to hug him? What will it be like to see his face? You see, for those of us who know him, this is the greatest longing in our hearts. For those of us who have not yet come to know him, thinking about this doesn't do much. It's just words. But think about what it will be like. To see Jesus, to be with him, to hang out with him. Think about what it would be like to hang out with Jesus. I guarantee you, he will be the most interesting, most entertaining person there. 
that, that ever was, right? The most welcoming, the most joyful. It will be wonderful. I can't even imagine it perfectly. Think about what it will be like to behold the glory of God. In the Garden of Eden, God presented himself to Adam and Eve continually. It says he walked with them. They walked with God. What will it be like to be with God, to behold his glory every day? Think about what it will be like to live in a place of perfect satisfaction of your heart every minute of every day. What will it be like to have perfect satisfaction in our hearts every minute of every day? Because we experience our hearts not being satisfied all the time right now. All the time. There's all kinds of reasons our hearts aren't satisfied. Unfulfilled desires, things we wish we could do that we'll never be able to do, people that mistreat us, desires to, to, be, to be around others that we can't have, desires to do things that we can't do, desires to, to feel what we, we're not feeling. No more unfulfilled desires. Perfect satisfaction in your heart every minute of every day. Think of what it will be like to see your loved ones who have died in Christ already. What will it be like to see them again? What will it be like to talk about the things that you wished you had been talking about with them all this time? To spend that time with them and to know it was Jesus who brought you together again. Think of what it will be like to meet all the saints from the Bible. And I do mean all of them because you have absolutely eternity to do it. There's, there's no cap on time. There will never be a cap on time. You can, you can just make a to-do list that goes on forever and complete it because you've got forever to do it. You can meet all of the saints from the Bible. I, I can't tell you how many questions I want to ask Paul. I've got lots of questions. I can't tell you what, what I, I think it's going to feel like. I don't even know, really, to ask Moses, what was it like on the mountain? What was that like? What was Peter and John, what was it like to be around Jesus all the time? What was that like to go through all of that? What was it like when you died for your faith, when you gave your life for it? What was it like, Abraham, when you, you, you were kind of confronted with God for the first time? You had no idea who he was, yet you put your faith in him. What was that like? How'd you do that? Right? What was it like to have God ask you to kill your own son? And you were about to go through with it. Let me just, can you just tell all of us the story? Think of all the things you've longed to do on this earth, but have not been able to do, because we're finite. And time is finite. Our resources are finite. There's all kinds of things that all of us, we would love to be able to do, and we, we take a realistic look at our lives, and we're like, I'm probably never going to be able to do that. I've just kind of got to give that dream up right? Heaven is the place where you will be able to do all of those things you always wanted to do and never could do. Think of perfect love and fellowship. There's no sin. There's no sinful motives in anyone else's heart. Every time someone comes up to you, there's no thinking, what's this person thinking in their mind? What's this person's motive in their heart? There's none of that. There's no more enemies, no more betrayals, No one will ever look down on you again. Think of what it will be like in heaven. If we do not think of this regularly, we won't care that there are people who are not going there. We won't care that we've got people in our lives, loved ones, 
people that we love, that we care about, that aren't going there. We've got to think about this often. But at the same time, brothers and sisters, the second question is this. Do you think often of hell? Because you should. Do you think often of hell? I'm going to go ahead and guess that most of us would say no to that. Why? Because we don't want to. I don't want to think about that. It's uncomfortable to think about that. It's not pleasant to think about. I can think about heaven. You want me to think more about heaven? That sounds good. That was fun. It's unpleasant to think about hell. But the same truth applies as it did to heaven. If we don't think about what hell will be like, we won't care that people are going there. Out of sight, out of mind. If we don't spend time thinking about this, we won't care that there are people going there. And there will be a time when it's too late for someone. No more second chances. We must do the uncomfortable work of meditating on hell. Think about what it will be like for someone the moment that they hear that their eternal fate is sealed and that they must go to hell. Think about the moment someone hears that at Judgment Day. There's no more chances. It's over forever. Think of the fact that hell is never ending. Hell is never ending. I think this is one of the primary reasons why people so desperately want this not to be true. Because it is never ending. In Revelation chapter 14 verse 9, we read this. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, and he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. No rest, day or night. There's no sleep. There's no relief. There's no break. There is no satisfaction. And it is never ending. Think about how in hell, it will not just be physical suffering, but it will be emotional suffering as well. Continual depression, loneliness, anxiety, unrest, not just of your body, of your soul, of your mind, of your spirit, forever. Think about how anyone in hell would give anything to have one more chance. Think about how anyone in hell would give anything just to go back and warn others. We read that in the story that Jesus told of the rich man and Lazarus. Anyone in hell would give anything just to go back and warn someone else so that they would not experience what they are experiencing. Charles Spurgeon once said, Meditate with deep solemnity upon the fate of the lost sinner. And like Abraham, when you get up early to go to the place where you commune with God, cast an eye towards Sodom and see the smoke thereof going up like the smoke of a furnace. 
shun all views of future punishment which would make it appear less terrible and so take off the edge of your anxiety to save immortals from the quenchless flame. Rescue these people, brothers and sisters. We must be about the business of rescuing people from this. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Third question. Have you considered how you will feel about your evangelism after years in heaven? Have you considered how you will feel after years in heaven about your evangelism? Now, I don't know what God's going to let us look back on in this life. I don't know what he's going to let us remember about this life. Considering all the promises that God gives us, there will be no sorrow, no pain. But will you regret having proclaimed the gospel even one time here on earth? Will you regret any of the times that you proclaimed the gospel? Will you ever regret having proclaimed the gospel? Even even if someone completely rejected it, will you ever regret that? No. We will never regret having proclaimed the gospel. We will never regret any of the times that we spoke to someone about Jesus, about their eternal soul. Will you not rather wish that you could go back and share hundreds more times? Or let's, let's just think about if we make it to our deathbed, will we not wish that we could go back? And share hundreds more times. Will we not wish that we could go back and risk more so that some people could come to Christ? Will we not wish that we could go back and just save one more? You ever seen the movie Schindler's List? Oscar Schindler at the end, he's, he's looking at all these people and he's crying. Because he, he feels horrible that he didn't do more to save more. We will wish that we could go back and save more. Even just one more. Won't you feel like you, you would risk anything? Won't you feel like you could go back? Won't you wish that you could go back and spend more money so that more people could come to heaven? To, to give more of your time and more of your energy, to risk that awkward conversation, to go there where it matters instead of just keeping everything surface level and safe. We will wish that. So consider how you will feel about your evangelism in the end. Fourth question. Have you considered the joy it will bring you? Have you considered the joy that sharing the gospel will bring to you? And I'm not just talking about the joy of seeing someone converted. I'm just talking about the joy of having been faithful. The joy of having shared the gospel. I'm telling you, there is a joy in having shared the gospel. There is a joy you feel after you talk to someone about spiritual things. There's a joy you feel about talking to someone about the gospel right afterwards, even if they don't accept it, even if they don't do anything with it, it's because you've been faithful to God. You've discharged your duty. God gave me a job to do, and I actually did it for once. There's a joy you feel in this. This joy comes from being faithful to God. There's a clear conscience that you have before the Lord. I did what He asked me to do, and I feel wonderful about it. My heart soars. Even having just shared it, no matter what the the person responded, did. And there is even joy in being rejected when you share the gospel. Jesus promised that when we take the gospel to the world, we would find some rejection. Jesus promised that. He said it was going to happen. 
And so when we are met with rejection, there's an opportunity to rejoice in that. Why? Because you think, wait a second, Jesus said that the people who were faithful would experience this, and I'm experiencing this. I'm being faithful, right? There's a joy in knowing that you're doing what God called you to do and receiving the confirmation even in persecution and rejection because you're God's person, you're God's man, you're God's woman, you're doing his work. But there's also a joy, a wonderful joy in having helped someone come to know Jesus. In knowing that you helped someone else come to know Jesus. It's a wonderful joy. I can can hardly describe it if you don't know what it's like. But if we're going to experience rejection, then we need to go share the gospel regularly so that every now and then we're going to be able to experience the joy of having helped someone come to him. The joy of having someone respond and give their life to Jesus. And you were a part of that. Consider the joy that sharing the gospel will bring you. Fifth, have you considered what your lack of evangelism is communicating to others? Have you considered what not sharing the gospel is communicating? I don't know if you guys have ever seen the magician duo Penn and Teller on TV or on on videos, YouTube, whatever, but... The, the tall guy with glasses and long black hair, his name's Penn Gillette, and uh, you might not know this, he's a staunch atheist, staunch atheist. Um, and years ago, he posted a video online, it's just him talking, and he told a story about a man who came up to him after a show, and the man met him after the show and said, hey, I really enjoyed your show, thank you so much for doing it and all the work you put into it. And then he said, the man, knowing that I was an atheist, he handed me a Bible. And he said... I, I actually respected that because I could tell the man was sincere. He cared about me as a person. He, he was sincere about his complimenting our show. Uh, and then he handed me a Bible. And I think it was because he was concerned about what he thought was the eternal state of my soul. It really made an impression on him. But then he said, he said, I don't understand Christians that don't proselytize. He meant Evangelism, that's what that means. Proselytize, share the gospel. He said, I don't, I don't get that. I don't understand Christians that don't proselytize. He said, how much do you have to hate someone to believe there is a place of eternal torment and that they are going there if they don't repent and then not warn them about that? How much do you have to hate someone to not warn them? And then he said, if you were in the middle of a road and I saw a truck bearing down on you, I'm going to tackle you and get you out of the way. Or at the very least, I'm going to yell at you and warn you. But how much would I have to hate you to just stand there and do nothing? That's Christians who don't evangelize. That's what he said. There's a lot of truth in that. Don Whitney, in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, tells this story. He said, I heard of a man who became a Christian during an evangelistic emphasis in a city in the Pacific Northwest. When he told his boss about it, his employer responded with, that's great. I'm a Christian and I've been praying for you for years. But the new believer was crestfallen. Why didn't you ever tell me you were a Christian? You were the very reason that I have not been interested in the gospel all these years. How can that be? The boss exclaimed. I've done my very best to live the Christian life around you. That's the point, explained the employee. You lived such a model life 
without telling me that it was Christ who made the difference, I convinced myself that if you could live such a good and happy life without Jesus, then I could too. What does our lack of evangelism communicate to people? What does our lack of evangelism communicate to those around us who know we're Christians and they're not? What does it communicate to them when we don't talk to them about Jesus? Do they, do they really think Jesus is the most important thing in our lives by the way that we communicate or don't about him? Do they really think this is the greatest news in all the world if we never speak of it? Sixth question, do you love the lost? Very simply, do you love these people? Do you love them? Philippians chapter 3 verse 18 says this, Paul says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul is writing a letter to the saints in Philippi, and he's, he's talking about people who are lost, and as he's writing it, tears are coming down his face because he's thinking about people who are lost. He's thinking about people who do not have Christ, and if they died, they would be separated from God for all eternity, and it makes him cry. It makes him weep. Does not your heart move you for these people who don't know Jesus? People who, if they don't come to Jesus, they will be lost forever. In Romans chapter 9, verse 3, Paul says, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Now this is an astounding verse to me. Because Paul says something that I don't actually think I could say. I'm being honest. I don't think I can say this. Paul says, I wish I could trade places with them. I wish, I wish I could take hell so that they could get heaven. Knowing what we know about hell, what we just spoke about, I, I don't think I can say this. Paul loves these people so much. It's not possible, but he says, if it were possible, I wish I could, I wish I could trade places with them. Do you love the lost? Do you love them enough to warn them? Do you love them enough to have a serious conversation? To not just keep everything about the weather and stuff. Do you love them enough to risk the awkwardness of asking about the state of their soul? If I go to the doctor and that doctor is about to walk in the room knowing that I have cancer, but he comes in the room and tells me to just check out, enjoy my life, everything's fine. Is that love? No, it's not love. That's giving in to fear and selfishness. That doctor is giving in to fear and selfishness. That is not love, to just act like everything's fine when it's not. Or take this, if we have a loved one in our family who is destroying themselves with an addiction, is it love to stand back and do nothing? Is that love? No, it's it's fear and selfishness. I don't want to make anything awkward. I don't want to offend anybody. That's not love. It's fear and selfishness. Do we love people enough to talk about this with them? Seventh and final question. Have you come to understand yourself what you have received in the gospel? 
If you are in Christ this morning, if you are a Christian, have you come to understand what you have received in the gospel? We deserve condemnation. I deserve to go to hell. That's what I deserve. By the grace of God, I am not getting what I deserve. But that's what I deserve. That's what we all deserve. But our sins have been fully forgiven. In Christ, because of Christ, because of what Jesus did on the cross, our sins have been fully forgiven. All the things that we are most shamed about, most ashamed, forgiven. All of the sins we've ever committed, in deed or in thought, forgiven. Jesus took the wrath of God for every one of my sins, so that I wouldn't have to take it myself. If you are in Christ today, you have been set free from the slavery to sin. You are no longer in bondage to sin. You've been set free. If you are a Christian today, God's love has been poured into your heart by the Spirit that He has given you. If you are a Christian today, you have found true satisfaction for your soul. If you are a Christian today, you have peace. And you have been set free from the fear of death. If you are a Christian today, you've been reconciled to God Himself. You've been made right with the holy and righteous God, the creator of the universe. You've been made right with Him. And you haven't just been made right with Him. If you are a Christian today, God has adopted you into His family. And He calls you now one of His children. And just like a child in a natural family... He has an inheritance waiting for you that is greater than all the wealth of the whole world combined. We must understand what we have received in the gospel if we're going to share the gospel. Because if we don't understand the gospel, if we don't understand what's happened to us, we won't care about sharing it. We won't care about telling other people. If we don't really think that this is as big of a deal as it is, do you remember Jesus's? Uh, encounter with the woman at the Pharisee's house who came in and said she was a sinful woman of the city. And she begins to weep and her tears wet Jesus' feet. He has not had his feet washed in this place. Uh, 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 An act of hospitality back then when you used to walk on dirty roads with sandals. She wets his feet with her tears. She wipes them with her hair and then she anoints his feet with perfume. The Pharisees, meanwhile, are scandalized that Jesus is allowing this woman of the city, this sinful woman, to be around him and around them. But Jesus tells them plainly, she loves much because she was forgiven much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. What he means by that is, if you think it didn't take much for God to forgive you, if you think it didn't take much for God to save you, then you won't have much love stored up. You won't have much love to give to God or to others. But if you understand what it took for Jesus to die on the cross for your sins and to suffer the wrath of God for your sins, if you understand what it took for God to punish His own Son in that way, to pour out the full measure of His wrath onto His Son on the cross, if you understand what it took for God to save you, And you'll understand how big of a deal it is that you are in Christ today and that you are forgiven. And you'll want other people to find that. 
We want other people to find what we have found. And so, having asked these seven questions of ourselves, let me leave you with two things that I ask you to do. Number one, begin praying for people that are lost. And I don't just mean people in general. I mean, think about people. Think about people in your life. Think about family members, co-workers, people in the community. Write them down on something. Begin praying every day for the people that you know who don't know Jesus. Pray for God to soften their hearts toward Him. Pray for God to open their eyes. Pray for God to orchestrate their circumstances that would turn them to Christ. Pray for God to begin drawing them to Himself and to His Son. Pray for God to use many people, including yourself, to affect them for Jesus. Pray for them to believe and be saved. Begin praying for their souls and pray every day. Never give up praying for the salvation of someone that you love to come to know Christ. So begin praying for people, but then start praying a second prayer if you don't already. Pray for opportunities. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel. God, save these people and give me opportunities to share the gospel. God, bring me someone to share the gospel with today and help me to have the courage to actually do it. Bring me someone to talk to about Jesus today. Bring me someone who needs to hear about Christ today. And help me to be faithful. Help me to have the courage to follow through. Begin praying for these things, brothers and sisters, because God is faithful. God will answer those prayers. He loves answering those prayers. And when you pray for opportunities, look at your life. Take a step back and start looking at Where are the opportunities that God has given me to speak? How can I use the opportunities that I have to speak to others for God and for His glory and for the gospel? I'll I'll end with this. Let me get this book out here real quick. I'm going to read you a story from a, a little book called Evangelistic Living by a guy named Roger Carswell. The idea is let's use every opportunity that we have for God, for His glory, and for the gospel. Carswell writes, R.C. Morgan was the editor of a Victorian Christian magazine and well-known amongst evangelicals of the late 19th century. He knew sadness in that two of his children died in infancy. His eldest son then drowned while swimming in a local river in London. On hearing the news, He made his way quickly to the place where the river was being dredged to try to recover the body. A crowd had gathered, watching the drama. In time, they saw the boy's body brought out of the water and laid on the riverbank. Broken-hearted, R.C. Morgan spoke through his tears to the crowd, explaining that this was his son, but adding that the boy was a Christian and so would now be in heaven with his Savior. And then he preached the gospel to them. A remaining son of Morgan's who wrote his biography adds that 20 years later, R.C. Morgan was in a hosiery shop where he spoke about the Lord to the shopkeeper who said that he was already a believer. On being questioned about his conversion, the shopkeeper explained that he had been converted the very day he witnessed the body of a boy being brought up from the river and had listened to the boy's father preach the gospel. Use every opportunity that you have to speak for God 
and for his glory and for his son, Jesus Christ, that maybe one person could be saved. Right now, we're going to spend some time in silent prayer. We're going to spend some time responding to God. God spoke to us, now we're going to speak to him. Whatever you need to speak to the Lord from your heart, speak it now as we pray. And then after a few moments, we'll come back together and we'll have a time where any who need to respond publicly can do so. Let's pray.